Welcome back, Bible readers. Um, this is the Rooted Podcast, and we are just right at the middle point of our Rooted Podcast for the year. Um, this month, the month of June, is going to start some uh, new reading. The first week in the month of June, we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about Jesus' conversations with women. And so that's the topic for today as far as our first seven days of reading about Jesus, about something about his life and ministry. Um, so it's going to be Jesus' conversations with women. Uh, the rest of the month of June, we're going to get into some of Paul's uh, New Testament epistles, Philippians, uh, I believe Colossians, and First and Second Timothy. I think those two will round out the whole month of June. Uh, but for the first five, or excuse me, for the first seven days of our reading, six days, I guess, of our reading, for the month of June, we're going to talk about Jesus' conversations with women. And as you read through the gospel accounts, and if you've probably read through them many different times, um, you find that Jesus had a lot of interaction with women. Um, and in that current day and culture, um, that was something that you didn't find very common with teachers, religious leaders, um, and that culture of that you know, first century. Um, women weren't uh, put on a pedestal, we might say, um, uh, like sometimes they are today. And, and again, not that there's anything wrong with that type of thing. We're just saying that, you know, here's Jesus. He's interacting with all different kinds of people, all different classes of people, because we know that Jesus does. We know that he interacts with, uh, you know, the Roman officials, the religious leaders, the women, uh, women who are widows, um, children as well. So Jesus is able to interact with everybody. But there's specifically uh, a few instances here. We're going to look mainly, I think, in the book of John and Luke today about his interactions with women. In fact, I, I believe it's the gospel of Luke where Jesus talks more about women and children in that gospel than any of the other gospels. But yet there's also some really rich stories in the book of John too, where John talks about uh, Jesus' interactions with women as well. So we're going to start today in John chapter 4, and we're going to talk about um, conversation Jesus has with the famous story, the famous narrative of the woman at the well. And you've probably heard this um, um, text preached before, Nathan. I know mm -hmm. I have many different times, many different ways. I believe pastors preached on this maybe the last couple of months. I thought I remember hearing a sermon a few months back um, related to that. Um, but one of the things that um, you see from this text, at least one of the things I think that stands out to me um, in this text of John chapter 4 is um, this, this this woman, when when Christ approaches this woman, and by the way, you know, he approaches her at the middle of the day. Uh, she's alone. Mm -hmm. So it says a lot about kind of her status. You know, right. most of the women didn't go alone. They went together. Mm -hmm. Even now they go together, right, when they go places, right? <laughs> right? But they went together to the well for protection, for safety. Um, but here's a woman who's alone. Um, it's the middle of the day. They usually didn't go in the middle of the day right. to get the water. Um, and and what, what I find about this is that uh, the thing that sticks out to me is that the disciples um, themselves are kind of frustrated with Jesus. Like, why would you talk to this woman? Or why would you mm -hmm. talk to a Samaritan? Or why would you talk to a woman in general? Or, 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 or why are you kind of like, why are you wasting your mm -hmm. time with that? Yeah, that was the common, that's uh, somewhat of a common theme in these uh, interactions with women are outcasts yeah. of society and uh, people that we might consider not the most moral. Right. Uh, why are we associating with those people? Of course, um, you know that uh, saying that Jesus said that those who are sick don't need a physician, but those who are well, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Yes, yes. And the self-righteous person 
is much further from the kingdom of God because right. they don't realize their need. Yeah. Uh, we shouldn't expect, should we expect anything less than Jesus having conversations with those who really need it? You know, and this woman from the conversation, she really needed to have a mm-hmm. conversation uh, with, with with the Savior. Um, and one of the things that um, you see in this, as Jesus deals with this woman in this passage, the woman at the well, we call her the Samaritan woman here. Uh, obviously, they don't like the Samaritans. I mean, if you've studied your New Testament, you know that. Um, you know, they, they despise them, they dislike them, um, although they were kind of related to the Jews anyway in the first place. Mm-hmm. We trace that all the way back to the 10 northern tribes that got right. taken into captivity into Samaria mm-hmm. by the Assyrians. That's kind of where the descendants came from. Um, but I noticed he uses the idea of water, you know, to help kind of turn the conversation. Because that's kind of his evangelism strategy. Let's talk about water, because water is something that's common. You know, everybody knows what water is, mm-hmm. right? She's obviously going to get water from the well. And Jesus' strategy here, it kind of starts with something common, water, talking to her about, well, I'm going to give you water of life, water that you don't ever have, uh, that will never make you thirsty again. And, and he uses that as a means, as a method. And of course, um, as Jesus um, talks further with the lady and she's able to um, explain how she, uh, how he already knows her moral issues, you know, she automatically assumes, oh, this man is a prophet. Um, but what Jesus says, and I think is very important and very key to this, is Jesus is not talking about this. this he's not focusing on the woman's past. He wants to focus on her future. Right. And I think that's so key for us today. He says it there in chapter 4, verse 21. He says, Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Okay? And this is important because on this mountain where they're at is where the Samaritans thought that... that um, you were supposed to worship, or Jerusalem, you're supposed to worship. And Jesus said, it doesn't matter where, you know, where you're worshiping. What matters is going forward that you actually worship. And, and I think there's a lesson for us there about our past. You know, sometimes we dwell on the things that we've done in our past that may not look very good, maybe mm-hmm. big moral failures and stuff. And Jesus is not condemning her for her past. She's saying, let's work more on your future. Let's go forward with this. Um, the, by the way, the Samaritans traced their ancestry uh, back to Joseph, uh, but obviously um, the Jews traced their ancestry back through Judah, back through the line of Christ. But Jesus is saying, listen, let's not worry about the past of that. Let's not worry about that. What I'm concerned about is that you accept this water, this free gift that mm-hmm. I'm giving you, your future. And, uh, and that may be one of the reasons many uh, today don't come to Christ because, and you've heard it before, uh, they're worried, oh, I've got to get my life right first before mm-hmm. I can become a believer right. in Christ. And, and that's never the case. Um, because Jesus died, I think Paul says that Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't die for the godly mm-hmm. person. It wouldn't make sense, right? He dies for the ungodly because they're the ones that need to come to faith in Christ. And so it, just, just in general, in this passage, I kind of see uh, Jesus focusing more on, okay, let's move forward. Let's not dwell on the past. We learn from the past, but let's move forward. At least that's what I see. Is there anything else from there that's kind of well, sticks out to you? I noticed that uh, Jesus takes his time to get yeah. the woman to that place where she's yeah. talking about that. Mm-hmm. We, you mentioned before, earlier in the conversation, about uh, nature and mm-hmm. about drawing illustrations from nature. Right. And I noticed the same progression with Nicodemus and with this woman. Yeah. Although one was a religious person and one was far from being religious. It's a good contrast. And so, um, you know, he talks about birth. 
And at the same time, Nicodemus answers the, um, the pivotal statement of Jesus about the new birth from a natural mindset. Yeah. And this woman kind of does too here. Yeah. Give me this water. And then so Jesus carries the conversation on further, and then it turns to a religious vein. Right. But then she answers, a, she responds with a religious question that is uh, maybe not quite where she needed to be, you know, about worshiping, whether here in, uh, in Samaria or in Jerusalem. Yeah. Then Jesus turns the conversation where he wants it to go from there. So he takes his time with that. He goes from the natural and he goes yeah. into the spiritual and gets to this woman to the point where she realizes, oh, and then, of course, she realizes that he's the Messiah yeah. through this. And there's much to be said, uh, you know, Nathan, about developing relationships with people, mm-hmm. you know, like he's doing here and, and uh, taking the time and slowing down to make sure they understand completely. And, you know, because some people you can't just say, go up to say, hey, you need Jesus. <laughs> yeah. You know, it takes time to develop that relationship. He did that with Nicodemus. He did that with this woman at the well. Other times, you know, Jesus has kind of uh, interactions that are quick and right to the point. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the uh, his conversation, it seems, at least in the book of John, are kind of slow and deliberate. Right. Maybe we need to take lesson from that as well, um, being slow and deliberate with our conversations, you know. Um, which is what we try to do in, you know, the field of evangelism, if we can say it that way, mm-hmm. not to be offensive. Um, the gospel is always going to be offensive because when you tell people there's only one way to go to heaven, they're going to get offended, period. Mm-hmm. But maybe in a kind way or in a courteous way or take time to develop relationships, you know, because mm-hmm. um, those relationships, that's the way people can get invited to church, you know, those one-on-one conversations that we have. And then at the end of the story that I noticed is the uh, chain reaction. Yeah, where she... Yep tells the people, and they believe her, but then later they meet Jesus, yeah. and they believe because they have seen him. Yeah. So that's much to be said about <clears throat> the influence. And here's a woman who's, you would think, she's not going to be that much of an influencer. Like the religious leader Nicodemus, you'd think he would do more of influencing mm-hmm. for Jesus. But here's a woman who's had lots of moral issues, yet she's used greatly. And that she's could used be greatly. quite a bit related to another story we're going to come by yeah. about uh, who... who uh, is forgiven much, yeah. loves much. And some yeah. of our greatest evangelists, huh. I'm not talking about the office or the uh, preacher evangelist. Right. I'm talking about those who evangelize right. are some of those who came out of very difficult and very uh, yeah. sinful, hard binding yeah. situations. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the other story here um, in our passages in John, John 8, um, is a woman caught in adultery. And this is kind of a unique story, too. Now, I will say at the outset, some translations don't include um, this um, chapter 7, verse 53, to chapter 8, verse 11. They don't include it uh, in most ancient Greek manuscripts from the 6th century earlier. Um, So that's the reason why some translations you might read don't have it there. I think it's valid, and I think there's some arguments that would would cause us to want to keep it in the text of Scripture. And uh, I don't have time for those arguments or to, okay. to argue through those because that's not what this is for. But, you know, we've read this story before, and I think the, the, the woman called adultery, and I think every single one of us wants to know, what did Jesus write down on the ground? What did he right. write in the sand? Everybody <laughs> wants to know, what did he write in the sand? What did he write in the sand when he dealt with this woman? Well, the point is that, that not what he wrote down, but what he actually said. Mm-hmm. that affects it. And it says it in, in that section, if you read through it, uh, 
when Jesus spoke, that's what they paid attention to, not what he was writing right down around. in the ground, the sand. Everybody wants to know, what was he writing the sand? Was he writing down the sins, sins of the re- religious yeah, leaders? Or what was he, was he writing down symbols or, or, or this? Or what is, was he writing down his grocery list? What do you need to get from the <laughs> store? <laughs> Who knows? But they all want to know about that, but that, 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 you got to push that aside and look <clears> at what did Jesus actually say in that text. Um, because again, the religious leaders were intent, you look at verse 6 of chapter 8, they were trying to trap him, to test him, saying something they could use against him. And it's when they did that is when Jesus stooped down and wrote in the ground. It's kind of like Jesus, obviously, he knew their plan, and he knew what was going on. Um, but it says, when the accusers heard what Jesus said, then they stepped away. So again, it was the words of Jesus, and this is an important thing, mm-hmm. not just what he wrote down into the ground. Um, and I think that it's interesting how when Jesus says, you know, you who is without sin cast the first stone, the older ones um, had the more uh, gentler, I guess we might say, conscience, uh, the more sensitive conscience, and they started to walk away first. Mm-hmm. And then the younger ones, younger religious leaders followed suit. Um, so much to be said of that as you get older and mature in your Christian life, obviously you're more sensitive because you've experienced a lot right. more things. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a, there's a point there as well. Sometimes you know it all. You think you know it all when you're younger. Yeah. And you find out it didn't work out the way you, <laughs> and, you had planned. And the biggest contrast, though, and, and I, you probably get this as you read it, is that Jesus was trying to, the point is, he's trying to show the sinfulness of the religious leaders Mm -hmm. in contrast to the sinfulness Mm -hmm. of an adulterous woman. I mean, that's not really, you think they're the same, there's similarities, but I think he's trying to make a contrast. And of course, Jesus doesn't, um, uh, when the the sin comes forward about the adultery, Jesus doesn't hang on that sin. He doesn't stay there. He says, you know, now go forward and sin no more. Kind of like in the, in the story of the woman at the well, let's not dwell in the past. Let's move forward and do better is, is what he's doing. It's not dwelling on the past because, you know, Jesus obviously knew that um, he's God. He knew that she had been in the adultery, had committed adultery, but he was merciful and gracious and says, mm-hmm. let's just move forward. And of course, he's Jesus. He can forgive their sins right away. So, you know, of who he is. But it's just a little story there, and I think that's interesting. And, and how many times does Jesus do that for us? Mm-hmm. How many times is he merciful and gracious to us when we get involved in a sin or, or a besetting sin or something, and it just drags us down every single day? And yet Jesus is merciful not to give us punishment. He could at any time. Mm-hmm. He has that right, but he's so merciful and gracious every single time. Mm-hmm. Um, because remember, all sin leads to death, right? Right. So any one sin that we cause, that, that we mm-hmm. commit, could lead automatically to physical death. Mm-hmm. But God is so gracious that he doesn't do that. Merciful, which means right. he has a plan for us. That's which true. means he's looking out for us, our best interest at heart, and, and hoping that we'll grow as a result of it. Mm-hmm. I'm thankful that I don't have his job. <laughs> right. <laughs> of course, he has the advantage of being God and being omniscient. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and knowing yeah. what is in man. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's another woman... Um, we talked about the woman at the well. We talked about um, the woman caught in adultery. Then there's another lady here in um, John chapter 20, John chapter 20, verse 11, and it's about Mary Magdalene. And it's a story of the resurrection, a story that you know we've read through at uh, Easter time, resurrection time. And, and to me, the biggest thing about this story is that you know the first resurrection appearance that Jesus has is to a woman. I mean, that says a lot. Right. I mean, that says a lot. And we know of Mary Magdalene, she was actually one who was possessed by 
spirits, evil spirits, and had been cast out. Right. Here's another bad girl of the Bible. <laughs> Maybe we but, should have called this something but, different. Um, <laughs> but we see the change. Yes, exactly, exactly. And we're not meeting her at the place in her life where right. she was... Right. Full of sin. Right, exactly. We're meeting her here. A changed where woman. She's, and, of course, she's crying and she's upset um, uh, you know, because of the, you know, Jesus is gone. She thinks she's gone. Now, looking back, well, crying seems inappropriate because we're talking about Jesus' resurrection. That's mm-hmm. a good thing. You shouldn't be crying tears yeah. of sadness. You should be crying tears of joy. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't realize what's happened. And I think she's kind of beside herself in grief. And she doesn't kind of know what's going on as you read through this text. It's kind of like the angels are telling her things and she's kind of... You know, like a deer in headlights. I wonder. Doesn't know. Kind of makes me wonder what our reaction would have been if we had been these characters. Wow, that's a good point. Probably pretty much the same. We have the advantage of uh, having the completed Word of God and having the Gospels and looking at it and having the conclusion already drawn for us. Right. But these people just didn't understand. Yeah. Right away, anyway. And and she was so concerned. Uh, that Jesus was gonna like like you know the text says that that she wanted to grab a hold of Jesus almost like she wanted to grab a hold of Jesus and not let him go because yeah. you know he had disappeared and she thought he was gone thought now he's reappeared oh yes thought she mm-hmm. lost him so she's gonna wants to hold on to him as if he's never gonna go anywhere mm-hmm. and and but if she did that then Jesus says well you can't go and tell everybody else that I've resurrected from the grave because mm-hmm. she had a task to do so she couldn't stay there and just grab a hold of Jesus' feet wherever he went. You know, as much as she wanted to hold hold on to him because he thought he was going to disappear, and Mary says, "No, you," or Jesus says, "No, you need to go back and tell all the apostles and all the disciples that I am indeed mm-hmm. resurrected." Of course, story goes, she goes back, and then Peter and John get excited, and they come and and they see as well. But but yeah, he, here's another story, like we said, of of uh, the importance that Jesus places. I mean, the you think about this. I mean, the single most important event in the Bible you know, outside of God creating everything, you know, the resurrection. resurrection. I mean, the crucifixion, mm-hmm. yeah, but the resurrection. And Mary gets to see Jesus the very first time. I mean, the very first one resurrected. I mean, think about the privilege and him and him, him allowing that to be extended to a woman of all things. Right. You know, when that society, a lot of times they were looked mm-hmm. down upon. Um, so that's a great example to me of of how Jesus is is desperately concerned with Everybody, all classes of people, men, women, and children, mm-hmm. whether you're a slave or free, or whether you have a life of sin, or or, or you're a you know morally righteous person, so to speak. I mean, right. Jesus dealt with them all. He dealt with them all. Now, um, those are the couple of the ones from John, and now we'll move forward or back, I guess, in our Bibles to Luke, because uh, there's a couple of stories that we'll talk about in Luke here, Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to chapter 8. Um, and um, here's an instance, an instance, excuse me, in this uh, situation here in Luke chapter 7, where a Pharisee, um, Simon, invites Jesus to his house. Right. It doesn't happen very often, mm-hmm. does it? Um, usually, in general, we think that Jesus was trying to avoid the Pharisees mm-hmm. and didn't like to have conversations with them because he knew they were always trying to trick him, always trying right. to turn the things around. And they weren't really serious about I mean, seriously, if they're trying to trick him all the time, they're not serious about trying to understand who he is. 
they were probably feels like concerned about their place in society, yeah. so they couldn't have Jesus. Yeah, probably coming along and outdoing them. Why waste my time, yeah. you know, with him? If what Jesus would say, why waste my time with religious leaders if they're not real serious about mm-hmm. you know me and about who I've come? Anyway, he comes to the house of Simon, um, a Pharisee, and invites him. So Jesus did accept invitations from religious leaders. So you know, it's a one-on-one type mm-hmm. of thing, and and you know, as the dinner party here is 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 going on in Luke chapter seven, um, then you have lavish display of love um, from Jesus in uh, Luke chapter 7. Um, so what about this text of scriptures? I find it here. I've got a few things circled here. What about this text, Nathan, stuck out to you the most? What do you think? Well, probably what I've already commented on previously <laughs> when I said this story was coming up. Oh, oh that's right. Oh, was this the, was the one you were talking about. Is, okay, is I got you. I'm pretty sure it's one. Yes, it is, because you see in verse 47, yeah. wherefore I say to her, sins which were many, are forgiven for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And he yeah. gave that um, little parable or illustration uh-huh. Jesus did about the one who owed uh, a smaller amount of money and one mm-hmm. who um, owed a large amount of money. Right. Both were forgiven, but right. the one who owed the extreme amount of money yeah. was going to love more. And in, in, in the end of the story, the, the sinful woman comes away as the hero. Right, you know, Simon the Pharisee comes away as the villain. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's not the one the focus of. I mean, it's a contrast between this sinful woman and the Pharisee. And at the end of the story, Jesus is like this sinful woman is is more righteous than you, Simon the Pharisee. Mm-hmm. And Simon again, you know, worried about his personal position right. and things like that. Didn't like that. Uh, didn't like that at all. And um, so, as you see this interaction here, and of course, um, they didn't like the fact that Jesus showed him. Uh, showed, or excuse me, the woman showed Jesus so much love and compassion. Normally you would anoint their heads, but now we're talking about anointing his feet. I mean, you're showing complete submission and, mm-hmm. and, and, and respect and love for Jesus. Um, you know, just like Jesus showed humility in washing the feet of the disciples. Right. You know, Old Testament anointing the head was, you know, even in the New Testament, that was how it was done. But now we're talking about their feet, um, and then I like how I included in this in this uh, this section verses or chapter eight verses one and three because there's a couple more notable women that are added here into the text. It says soon afterward Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his twelve disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them was Mary Magdalene, from whom he had mm-hmm. cast out seven demons. Then Joanna, the wife of Chuas. Herod's businessman's manager, um, Susanna, and many of the others who are contributing to their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. That's a big statement. Mm-hmm. There were women who were contributing of their own what they had, their ability to support Jesus' mm-hmm. ministry. I mean, that's a big deal. I mean, how many times do you think, hey, you know, these are women who probably don't have a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And they're supporting Jesus, and it says they went with him too, yeah. other places as well. So those those first couple of verses there in Luke chapter eight, I, I find this kind of fascinating. I love to do a study to figure out what's going on here, um, because you know you've got Joanna, who's a, a business manager. She's already has right. a small business, I guess, in mm-hmm. the Bible. She's already a business manager for, and they're using their support for Jesus. So they their, their hearts are in the right place. Mm-hmm. 
uh, for the disciples. But yet at the same time, the disciples are kind of pushing away. Oh, we don't need any of the women. It's just, right. you know, but yet mm-hmm. the women are supporting them. It sounds so ironic and so opposite of what it, I guess, what it should be. Um, but needless to say, Jesus loves uh, the fact that he's being loved. He, you know, uh, obviously when the woman washes Jesus' feet, Jesus understands what she's doing, mm-hmm. and, and, and he appreciates that. I just wish some of these um, disciples would, would get the point. Sometimes right. they feel like they're hard-headed, right? Mm-hmm. That's exactly like us. We're all hard-headed, aren't we? Yeah, we miss a lot of things, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we do. We miss lots and lots of things. Uh, the the next section there's there's a coupling of three verses or three passages: Luke seven eleven to seventeen, Luke eighteen one through eight, and Luke twenty four one to four. And I couple them all together because it's different interactions Jesus has with widows. Okay. So the first one is raising a widow's son. The second one is the persistent widow. And the third one is the widow's offering. And I just wanted to highlight um, that, again, not only is Jesus having interaction with women, but it's also with widows who don't have any help mm-hmm. otherwise. They don't have a man. They don't have a son. Um, so they're, they're widows indeed. You know, They don't have any support, but yet they're still um, um, being shown compassion to by Jesus. And, of course, the first one is the raising of the widow's son. And, uh, of course, Jesus, uh, in that passage specifically, it talks about how Jesus had compassion on that woman because she did not have any means to support herself. Um, she, she didn't have any means to do anything, and Jesus comes along and has compassion on them. I just like how, and this is not the only case, but so many times it, it says in the narrative, you know, Jesus had compassion on them. He saw them. He saw their faults, their failures, and just had compassion. And sometimes we go around seeing people all the time, mm-hmm. and we don't really have compassion on them. Right. We're just kind of like, get out of my way. I need to get mm-hmm. to my next place. I need to get to my next appointment, or, or don't bother me with that. Mm-hmm. But again, remember what Jesus did earlier, like you said? He slowed down and he took his time. Mm-hmm. And I think when we slow down and we take our time, we can see the needs of other people. And throughout the Old Testament, the Father always had compassion for those who were poor, mm-hmm. for the orphans and the widows, yep. and that continues in the life of Jesus, and then in the book of James where we're told to care for those type of people. And often there are greatest prayer warriors, and sometimes there That's are the greatest financial supporters, the ones that have some means right. to begin with. Right. Or, you know, with that one with the, uh, with the uh, widow who gave everything yeah. that she yeah. had. She actually gave more. She gave say. more than, yeah. than the others because she gave it all, and others were holding back, which right. was their privilege. To do so, but um, anyway. And, and because you're talking about the widow's offering, mm-hmm. what you're getting at, and of course a persistent widow is about um, constantly praying and, right. and remembering to pray, persistent. You know, Jesus' present ministry and his return to his Father, you know, he's asking for protection. He's asking for protection. And if you read that text in Matthew, or excuse me, in Luke 18, 1 through 8, um, Jesus is, is asking for protection. You know, protection, 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 protection from the enemy, not punishment for the enemy. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we want the evildoers to be punished. When what Jesus is saying is that we should be persistent in praying just for protection from the Father, protection mm-hmm. from the Father, protection from the Father. Because judgment and punishment is the Father's to give out, not mm-hmm. for ours to give out as much as we'd want to. It's not for our, us to give out. And so we have to be praying for that constant protection. But what you're saying about the widow's offering, I think it's an interesting story. And that's in Matthew, or excuse me, I keep saying Matthew, Luke 21. Um, and the real issue is, is, is how much we keep for ourselves. 
not how much we give away. That's the real issue of the story. Right. Because here's a widow. We tend to appreciate the amount of the gift, not necessarily the sacrifice that went into giving it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Somebody gives you a gift of a few dollars, you'd say thank you. Mm-hmm. And 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 you'd probably look at it and be like, Well, what was that about? That was a little gift. Mm-hmm. Somebody gives you a thousand dollars, okay, you might be more thankful. See, I think sometimes we tend to appreciate the amount of the gift, not necessarily the sacrifice. When that person that may have given you a few dollars, that's all they had for that day. Right. Or that's all their month's wage. Mm-hmm. We appreciate where the gift came from right. and who was the giver. And that's what Jesus is doing at the widow's mm-hmm. offering. Because the widow gave Offering, she didn't have anything to give, but she still she still mm-hmm. gave. The other guys here, the religious leaders, they gave a little bit, and they had tons to give. Mm-hmm. So, to me, the issue is is how much we keep for ourselves, and not how much we give away. And I'm preaching to y'all out there as much <laughs> as I'm preaching to myself as well, uh, because sometimes we look at that gift and we tend to appreciate if it's more lavish or big, rather than trying to understand how valuable that gift was to the person that gave it to us. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why it's important, again, slow down with relationships, mm-hmm. take time, realize they gave you a gift, and, and to be appreciative and thankful for it. Um, so there's a lot to be said yeah, there. And often we excuse ourselves from giving when we feel pressed financially. Mm-hmm. But we can sacrifice, and we can still, yeah. still give. Yeah, look at this widow. I mean, she didn't have anything to give. She was pressed mm-hmm. financially to a wall. She yeah. probably didn't know where her that was next, all she meal, had, yeah. Yeah, next meal was coming from, and she just gave it all. She just gave it all. So we don't have any excuse. I guess that's the end of the story, right? Yeah. We don't have any excuse. Now, this last passage of Scripture, uh, Luke 10 and Luke 12, uh, we don't really have time to, or excuse me, John 12, um, get into these. These are probably more two of the more famous ones, uh, Mary and Martha, and how Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, and Martha is going around um, trying to get the house ready and prepared, and you know, Jesus says to Martha, Mary has chosen the better thing to sit mm-hmm. at my feet. And, the, and I think the reason why she, he says, she says that, because there's a big thing we often miss in this passage, and it's about what's going on in the context. You know, Jesus is physically there in their presence. You know, mm-hmm. And Mary says, I'm going to sit at his feet. You know, the house can be dirty. It can be picked up later because Jesus is physically here. I mean... And you think about that, if, 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 if Jesus came to our house physically there, do you think we'd be worried about the house or worried about what it looked like? Or would you rather just want to sit there and just listen and absorb everything mm-hmm. he says? Um, you know, and, and there, there's some importance there. And obviously, you know, there's nothing wrong with cleaning up a house. And I don't even know if that phrase is even in the Bible, cleanliness is next to godliness. Is that even in the Bible? I don't think so. <laughs> I think that's a that's a uh, a myth. Um, but there's nothing wrong with cleanliness. We all like cleanliness, right? Right. right. We like to sanitize and. But and sometimes it gets in the on. way of actually <laughs> fellowshipping with people. Yeah, and I and think that's uh, the point. I think that's the point. I yeah. think that's the point. It that's the priority. It got in the way of, and anything that that gets in the way of relationship, your relationship with God, needs to be looked at, needs to be analyzed, pushed aside if needed to. Uh, and, and then the other one is is Mary washing Jesus' feet with her hair, and that's in Matthew, or excuse me, I keep saying Matthew the whole time I've said Matthew. Mm-hmm. We're not even talking about Matthew. It's all Luke and John passages. And John 12, the Mary washes, washing Jesus' uh, feet with her hair, similarities to the other one as well. And of course, right. in that one, remember, Judas is like, why are you wasting all this money on this uh, 
you know, right. wasting all this. Not precious that he really oil. cared about that, exactly, exactly. And, he, and that's, tells us. that's the irony yeah. is that here's Judas, the one who's, of course, he's the treasure keeper, right? He's the keeper of, right. the, of their uh, their bank account, I guess, mm. of the disciples or whatever, and he's concerned about again the 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 money part of it. He can act, he can act spiritual at yeah. the time, yeah, and, uh, maybe really so. Be far from, but spiritual. Jesus, yeah, but Jesus is the one that says, "Listen, Mary has done the better things," because I think he says, "You don't have me always with you." You have the poor with you always, because I think that's the passage where Judas says, well, we could have given all that to the poor. And Jesus says, the poor you have always with me, but me, you're not always, I'm not always with you. And so Mary has done the better thing. Um, I think it's that passage, or maybe it's the other one that I'm talking about. Um, so anyway, oh yeah, no, I was correct. I remember, I'm, <laughs> I feel good about myself right now. John <laughs> chapter 12, verse 7. And that passage says, Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Right. So obviously the context there is that Jesus is there mm-hmm. in their presence. And I can't wait till that day when we get to see Jesus face to face and we're actually physically in his presence. I mean, you think about what these uh, ones got to experience, got to see Jesus. Of course, mm-hmm. we'll get to see him in his resurrected state. Right. Um, uh, and 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 what a day that's going to be! Anything else to add about this whole well, conversation? Back to the Mary and Martha story. Yeah. Um, one thing that was brought up in a Bible study one time was what was the tone of voice of hmm. Jesus when he said, "Martha, Martha, thou yeah. art careful about many things." And uh, my my natural inclination is that he was very concerned. Yes, he was very loving. Right. Although some people said he could have been rebuking her. True, but I, I think his heart of compassion was there. Yeah, that he wanted fellowship with Martha. Yeah, that's the truth. And, I, and the more I think about it, the more you know, because a rebuke would have would have maybe pushed her away. He didn't want to do that. You know, maybe a, a like you say, a words of compassion. Mm-hmm. You know, come join us. Come join us. You know, that can take care of itself. Because you, when you say somebody's name twice, it may be one or the other. You may be <laughs> rebuking or very, very concerned. I didn't say his middle name, so we're okay. <laughs> you get in trouble. So it's just, 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 yeah, Martha, Martha. And then I feel like, you know, he, his voice would get lower. You know, Martha, Martha, you're chosen. You know, you need to come over and be with us. It's kind of like as just a reminder. So I can see you're kind of frazzled, maybe getting everything mm-hmm. a certain way, because Jesus is coming, the most important Chill. guest. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Jesus says, come on, Martha, just come and enjoy fellowship with us. And that's important. Um, and I feel like sometimes when you, uh, we host people and have guests and different things over at our houses and different places, sometimes we get too involved, and maybe mm-hmm. that's part of the story, with make sure everything's right, when you really just need to have fellowship with the, the guests that you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that's the point. So. Right. Well, that's all the time we have for for this week for Jesus' conversations with women. So as you read through those conversations, I hope some of the insights and things that we shared are helpful. I'm sure you have lots of insights to share as well. If you have any questions about what we've talked about today, feel free to send an email to BibleReading at LNBC.org, and we'll be glad to answer that through email, or we might be able to answer it online, or excuse me, live here in our podcast session if it's appropriate to what we're talking about. We'll be glad to answer it then. So we will see you all next time.